Welcome to Inside the Gridiron with Jack Borowski on Podsource, your home for all things NFL-related. Welcome to Inside the Gridiron on Podsource. I'm your host, Jack Borowski. On this episode, we are fortunate to be joined by Buddy Baker. Buddy is the president and CEO of Exclusive Sports Group, one of the top agencies in the country. Buddy, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. How are you doing, Jack? Pretty good. Now, Buddy, you run one of the most successful agencies in the NFL, and people now see the finished product. But can you take us back to how you first started in the business? Sure. So um, I think that if you really want to be involved in the business of sports, it's something that you have to understand as a way of life. It's more than just being a casual fan. Um, when I was uh, a student at Purdue University, I worked for the Purdue University basketball program. Um, and it really ingrained me and taught me about the business of sports because at that level, as we're seeing now with March Madness going on, um, you know, college sports is big business. Um, so I got I worked for the basketball team and um, then I wound up coaching my old high school basketball team and then um, went to law school to become a, a lawyer, a litigator, um, and started the sports and entertainment group at a small law firm. And what I realized was that if I wanted to compete on a global basis, I needed the resources that would allow me to uh, be competitive. So I joined, um, at that point, the largest and oldest law firm in the state of Indiana to run their subsidiary sports agency. Um, And I built up clients, obviously, throughout the NFL, the NBA, international basketball, um, and coaches and executives. And so had... um, had some success and ultimately branched off on my own um, in 2008 and started my own company in the exclusive sports group, um, but built it up pretty methodically and over the course of time and looking for the right clients and, you know, trying to find the right people to represent in the work in each respective sport and um, help them kind of achieve their dreams, you know, in their sport and in life. And now everyone always remembers who their first client was, so who was your first one, and what was it like doing your first sports contract? Well, you know, I remember when I first got started in the business, some of the people I recruited, one of my first clients um, was a guy who wound up, a guy named McAllister Collins, who wound up working for me um, when he got done playing football. What I remember more than um, that, though, um, in those slight then that same time, I, I represented a number of players in that draft class in the NFL, um, and a bunch of guys who were, I guess, what you would call uh, long shots. And one of them, a guy named Farron Wright, who played at the University of Rhode Island, wasn't even signed as an undrafted free agent. Wanted to get an opportunity, wound up making the Minnesota Vikings. Um, so that I remember that day more than anything um, of him making that of him making the Vikings. Um, and uh, ironically, at that point, I didn't have the resources to be traveling and be everywhere. And, and I actually signed him without actually meeting him. And, the first time I actually met him was at the first regular season game um, in 2001. So he was the first one I remember actually making a team. And um, I remember the elation I had that I finally rep- I was really representing somebody who played in the NFL. And it's interesting because, I mean, now at this point, working with pro bowlers, a ton of great players, it's a little bit easier to sell. But when you first started, how did you sell to a potential client being that, like you said, you didn't have all the resources as an NFL agent at that point? I mean, that's a great question. Obviously, it was a little bit different time when you talked about almost 20 years ago. 
And I often think that. I often question how I did it. I mean, I sold who I was as a person. Um, I sold my passion. I sold uh, my dedication. Obviously, I was a lawyer, so I sold my sophistication. And at that point, I just said, look, you know, I was always very transparent. I don't have a lot of clients, um, and I'm getting started in the business. I worked for a reputable law firm, and so I sold the quality of the law firm and the credibility of the law firm, and then really just my passion and, you know, very much showed what I was prepared to do to help them and, um, and really didn't know, to be honest, what I didn't know at that, at that time. Um, you know, now having been in it for nearly 20 years, you realize there's a lot of things you don't have, you know, that it's kind of surprising, you know, that people were willing to take that chance. But again, I think the industry back then wasn't as saturated. Um, and so like there wasn't, um, it wasn't, I'm not going to say it wasn't as competitive, but I feel like there was a little, a little less saturation. So it was a little bit easier to get clients who are, um, I guess what you would qualify as under the radar. Um, nowadays, even guys that again, are quote unquote under the radar are still highly coveted. Right. So now it's a lot more agents, a lot more competition. So what is your strategy in trying to recruit players? Because there are a lot of agents and a lot of competition. That's a great question. My strategy is that you have to understand what your niche is and you have to understand what you're looking for. So for us, right, when you represent a player, which is a little bit different than per se a team drafting a player, they really become part of your family and you have to prepare, be prepared to live with them in every aspect of their lives. Um, so from that standpoint, we're looking for guys that echo and, and kind of um, translate into what we're looking for as far as not just players and people, because we're going to go through this journey together and the journey is going to have ups and it's going to have downs. So obviously the first threshold, you know, Jack, is that we want to find players that we think have the ability to play in the NFL. Um, secondly, the ability to stay in the NFL. Um, every player that we sign is always going to get an opportunity in the NFL. The question is, is it going to, are they going to be in there for an hour, a day or a year? Um, we, you know, our business, the business model is that players that have sustainability. Um, and I think that, Obviously, they need to have some sort of physical traits and football abilities, but also the more you know about them personally, um, the more likely they are to have success on the field. So every year, um, we're able to identify players who are good players and might not call, everyone might not be looking at them as long-term NFL players, but when you're able, to, when you identify them, whether it's you know guys going back like you know Mike DeVito's and the Mike Wrights. And, Obviously, more recently, Jack Doyle's and Doug Baldwin's, and you're like, okay, these guys are not just guys who are going to get an opportunity in the NFL, but these guys, everything they stand for, it's going to be hard for them to ever not be successful in the NFL. So, um, so we're looking for guys we think that have the ability to be successful in the short and long term, um, with the short not really being that important, only that it's going to give you the basis of the long term. And then we're looking, second part of it is, is we're looking for people that you know kind of match you know, that what the type of person that we want to represent. Um, because, you know, if we're not going to, if we're not going to be able to do our job and sometimes we have to be the unpopular person and say things, um, and things are going to go bad and there's going to be finger pointing, we're in this together. So, um, and those things are hard. So we start by doing some due diligence and then it kind of continues as we go through the recruiting process and we learn more about them and their families. And there's times that they probably don't like us and we back off and, there's certainly times we feel like, hey, this might not be the right fit. And so we back off. And you mentioned uh, having two players in Doug Baldwin and Jack Doyle who are both 
pro bowlers as undrafted players. And you've had a lot of success with under the radar guys. What would you attribute to the success of them as well as the other undrafted guys that you've had in the past? Well, I think sometimes in the, the NFL, I think sometimes we don't, you know, we, we realize that a lot of guys are coming out that way when you look at as Hall of Famers. So it's much different than the NBA where you can have Hall of Famers who are undrafted players, et cetera. Um, you, you don't know. A lot of times in basketball, you'll be able to identify a guy at 12 years old, 13 years old, who's going to wind up being a great player. In football, it's a much different deal. Um, and because of that, for a number of reasons. But um, so one, you realize that they're going to mess up on the scouting aspect of it. So we're looking just at the abilities of them as a football player. But like I said, I think that when you have a high character individual, they're going to maximize who they are in every aspect. And so we look at what, you know, who that is. A lot of times, sometimes it could be small school guys. That small school guy hasn't had a similar level of resources. So like I said, it was, you know, Mike DeVito from Maine or more recently Pat Ricard from Maine. Um, we've had a lot of Corey Graham from New Hampshire. I mean, those guys um, were phenomenal athletes. And if you were to put them in programs or Joe Wright's one of my clients who played nine years, who was a college basketball player. And if you were to put them in a big 10 SEC type football program, they would have looked much different at the end of four years, but they didn't have that. So we kind of go through that process and just try to prognosticate, try to anticipate what they're going to be. And so, and then how are they going to handle that? Um, how are they going to handle the success um, if they haven't had anybody? Guys like Doug, who were initially a walk-on um, at Stanford and then ultimately became their lead receiver, how are they going to have success to become one of the best receivers in the NFL? And um, as you learn more about them, you're able to tell, like, this is a guy who's going to be able to get it. And someone who definitely was under the radar, Shaquem Griffin. What was it like being the agent for Shaquem during the draft process? Um, it was different. I mean, it was something that in my, all my years I hadn't encountered. Um, and it just kept growing. Um, obviously, everyone, you know, his story became, you know, started to get known with his, you know, Shaquille's senior year and his junior year when he was the player of the year in the conference. But, I mean, he, along the way, he kind of he came back, obviously, for his senior year. They go undefeated. He wins um, MVP of the of the Peach Bowl. Um, he has just an incredible year. People are talking to him about his national champions. Uh, but then again, he's kind of the afterthought, right? And, and a part of it was it all attributed to his individual situation? Probably not. I mean, he was an undersized guy who was kind of playing defensive end and had to um, switch and transition into a linebacker position. So, but again, still, when you see what he's able to accomplish in his athleticism, it was mind blowing that he wasn't getting more attention leading into the draft process. Um, ultimately, gets a late invite to the Senior Bowl um, and winds up winning Practice Player of the Week there and MVP of the Week, and just is puts on a complete show. Um, and then, obviously, from that, when that happened, um, everything just took off. I mean, thousands of media requests and all sorts of opportunities. Um, and then it just kept going from there, right? Goes to the combine and breaks the record for the fastest 40 ever by a linebacker. Um, does the bench press, you know, 20 times or whatever it was with the prosthetic and captures really the hearts of America. Um, and he handled it incredibly. And then the draft, um, while he would have liked to get drafted earlier, the way it kind of unfolded was he just became the story of the draft. Um, and he just became, he, he has just become um, one of the more identifiable, likable players um, really in all of sports. 
Um, and so it's been an unbelievable experience. And, and quite honestly, I've got to experience things I never thought I could imagine um, with him and Shaquille. And, and there's a lot of reasons, right? They're so likable. They're so personable. There's obviously two of them. And, um, and obviously Shaquem's situation, they, you know, their story continues to grow, but they remain very focused um, about, okay, this is not what they want as their top thing. Their number one thing is to have success in the NFL. And they understand how competitive it is. Um, so what it's been like is trying to keep him on track um, for what his goals are. And he's done a, a great job of kind of following my lead on that. So for your prospects in general, how important would you say the combine slash pro day is for their draft position? Um, no, I think it is. Um, I think, and teams may try to uh, disagree with that, but at the end of the day, we know some, you know, kind of dimensions which matter, right? So if you have a four nine wide receiver, there's very little proof that that guy is going to have success um, on Sundays. There's exceptions to every rule, but that would be the exception. So identifying on an equal playing field what that guy's physical dimensions, traits, um, physical capabilities are, um, is important and does matter. So I do think if you ask me quite honestly, and I've told you know, kids this, the most important thing after their season is probably the combine. One, you're getting the medical components, so you want to check those boxes, right? Two, you're getting the interviews, so they're kind of spending time with you. And if there's, again, I think the interviews are more so for, maybe somebody that they have some questions about and how is that person going to fit within that respective organization? And third, you know, obviously all the physical traits and what they're capable of doing. Um, so again, a lot of times teams want to say, just go back to the tape. And I think that matters. Of course, it's probably the number one factor, but at the end of the day, if you say the SEC is the top football conference, you know, obviously whatever you want to say, which, or no matter which conference it is, it doesn't compare it to the NFL. My point is, is that whether it's, uh, the SEC or uh, a Division II, you know, conference. Either way, you're prognosticating, projecting what that guy's going to be able to do in the NFL. It's a bigger projection, of course, if you're at the Division II level. But even the SEC is a projection. Otherwise, every guy from the SEC would just automatically translate into success on Sundays. But of course, it doesn't happen that way. So, um, so now the kid from the Division II program and the kid from Alabama, they're standing side by side. Um, and while the kid from Alabama may be a more finished uh, or polished uh, you know, prospect, at the end of the day, maybe he's closer to his potential as opposed to a kid that hasn't been given that. So I think the combine becomes um, of tremendous importance, and you're able to see what they, what they have to work with. I remember going to the combine and just hearing some of the stories about how important the interview process is and how that could be a determining factor. I mean, they could have all the skills in the world there's character concerns, teams are going to be worried about taking them. So how do you prepare your clients for the interview process? Um, again, I think it depends, Jack, on who the client is. Um, I tend to say, be yourself. And I tend to say, again, we prepare them and let them know who their respective interviewer is. But if the guy, if the player is a good kid um, and hasn't, you know, doesn't have any blemishes in his background, they're not looking, I'm not worried about, and, and you know, I've talked about this, you know, publicly before. There's no trick questions like they say, are you a dog or a cat? And you say like cat, and they say, okay, we're not drafting. You now. Um, they're there to, I mean, those type of questions are fun, but they're there to um, not trick you up. Um, they're there to ask questions about your background. If there's some questionable things in the background, you've had some transgressions, then maybe 
we need to identify and, and kind of say, okay, how are we going to handle that? Um, and usually it starts with accountability um, and, and, the, and learning. But again, I think we have historically represented very high character individuals. Um, so again, we just want that to shine, be themselves. You know, represent this year a guy like Terry McLaurin, who's in the, you know two-time captain in Ohio State, and we've had some people say, some teams say, you know, he's the best kid in this entire draft, the best person in this entire draft as far as character. So we don't really need to train. We don't really have to spend a bunch of time with Terry telling him at the interview, be himself. Um, he's he's gotten to where he's gotten by being himself. He has no transgressions in his past and. Um, just be yourself. So it depends on the person and what their background is. Um, and again, even if you're quiet, if you're outgoing, don't try to be somebody you're not. Right. And at this point, you kind of understand like the character. It's important. You want them to be themselves. But also as a CEO of an agency, you're, you're tasked with having to hire agents. So what would you say you look for when hiring an agent? Um, somebody, you know, again, it's like any business. You want somebody who uh, has skill. And what skill means is the ability to recruit clients and the ability to service clients with a, from a contract, from a marketing, from an off the field, um, an everyday life aspect of it. Do they have the ability to relate and help and lead uh, young men transitioning from, you know, kind of the collegiate ranks to being a professional? Um, do they understand the industry? Do they have a level of sophistication? Do they have relatability? And so we're looking for those traits. And then we're, of course, um, you know, I believe in operating with a high level of integrity. So do they do it in a way similar that we're going to do it? And so in a way that, okay, you're not going to win every battle, um, but you'll ultimately win the wars by doing it the right way. So um, kind of those type of things I think are important. Of course, we want team players uh, to understand that um, it's for the greater good and, uh, and not trying to um, have internal fighting and really have kind of a big picture perspective. And being a CEO, kind of, you first started, and then in 2008, you started Exclusive Sports Group. How is it, like, how is being a CEO of an agency different than when you were first originally starting? I think when I, when I first started, well, first at the small law firm, then ultimately at the large law firm, um, while I ran the company and I kind of had that CEO uh, title, um, I didn't own it. And so was, the difference is that there's things on a daily basis as far as those things are concerned from a running and owning the business perspective that require time. Um, as opposed to when you just, you know, the president of a company and not per se the CEO and you don't have those type of things. And, you know, you have to have your meeting with different financial institutions and understanding kind of the big picture perspective. When I first bought the company in 2008, you know, you realize like, you know, you got to figure out your office space and your office leases and, you know, your furniture and your printers and your computers and your 401k. And ultimately you have to have a team in place that helps you kind of uh, incorporate all those things, which when you work for some another organization, those things are kind of in place. So when you buy your company, you realize there's, for lack of a better term, some administrative aspects. Um, that you're going to have. And, and you want to do them because, A, that's part of owning a company, but you also want to do them because you want people who want to work there and say, okay, this is this is a real company, not just an individual, that this is something that um, they're competitive on, on a larger landscape. They, ha they check all those boxes. So um, I think those are some of the things that you realize, um, you know, are different when you become the CEO. And I think the other aspect of it is even when you run a company, you're always worried about that brand. But when it's your brand, 
Um, well, I might not have your per se name on it, but it's your brand. You want to make sure that you're protective of that brand at all costs. So um, I think, you know, when you have that, I think it, it means a little bit more to you than it otherwise might. Buddy, you talked about kind of how there's a lot of tasks with being a CEO, even when you were a president. But I think a lot of what high schoolers we think of when we think of the agency business is that it's just a glamorous lifestyle that all agents have. And it's an incredible industry to get into. Would you say that the agency life is glamorous based on your experience in the agency business? I don't know if I would use the word glamorous. I think I like what I do. Um, I think when you work hard and you have some success, there are certain aspects which are very rewarding. And um, but again, that's not why you get into this business. If you have success, um, and you know, again, you have to appreciate. I always tell my clients, I tell my kids, enjoy the ride. And, and by that, I mean like, yeah, there are certain aspects of being um, an agent which would qualify as as, as kind of cool, but it takes most of your uh, career to get there and, and there's no guarantee and that's not why you should get into it. Um, but what I call it glamorous, I'd say no, 99% of what we do is no different than any other business executive. Um, but again, some of the things I enjoy the most are the relationships which we develop and cultivate, not because they're professional athletes, but because we're helping lead young men to successful careers and successful lives. Um, um, but again, you've got, that's not why you get into this. Um, that's not, but you want to enjoy the journey as well. And so you get to experience things which you may never otherwise get to experience. Um, and you can't, you have to be mindful of that and you have to be appreciative of that. And I certainly hope, I certainly think I am. Um, but again, I don't know if glamorous would be the right word because it's maybe 1% The glamorous aspect that you see is maybe 1% or less of what we do on a daily basis. And the agency business is one buddy that I, I noticed. A lot of my friends, a lot of kids, when I go to a sports management program, it's always, I want to be an, an I want to be a sports agent. I want to be an NFL agent. So what advice would you give to high schoolers and college students who want to become agents? Um, I would say surround yourself in the world of sports. By that, I mean, not by watching sports center, et cetera. If you're still in high school, still playing, or you're lucky enough to play in college, that's fine. But if you're not, whether it's high school or college, you need to, um, saturate yourself in the world of sports. What does that mean? So for me, like I said earlier, I was a manager for the Purdue University basketball program. Um, when you go to an, when you go to a school somehow, and some of the most successful people in the world of sports, from coaches and executives or former managers and people that worked, uh, you know, that worked in the, in a sports department, whether it's as a manager in the sports information department, whatever it may be, just get as many. And what you're doing is you're learning the business right? Because it becomes a business and you're also developing, cultivating contacts. So don't be as concerned on the short term of getting that job at, you know, waiting tables or whatever, as you are, as you might be, you know, experiencing and meeting people like, just like, you know, you've done by coming to combines and meeting people that's, and maintaining and cultivating those relationships um, becomes of critical importance. And again, there's, there's no uh, guarantee it's going to pay off. But learning the business that way, right, and not worried about the short term and developing those relationships and maintaining those relationships uh, potentially could pay off uh, in the long run. Well, that was Buddy Baker, a CEO of Exclusive Sports Group. I appreciate having you on and good luck the rest of free agency in the draft. Anytime, Jack. You do a great job. All right. Talk to you soon.
You just listened to Inside the Gridiron with Jack Borowski on PodSource. If you liked what you heard, be on the lookout for more inside scoop into the NFL. Also, follow the show on Twitter at the gridiron underscore NFL for all things football related. This is Jack Borowski signing off.